Welcome to another episode of the Spoon Mob Podcast. This week, I'm joined by Alexis and Cole Garside. They're the owners, founders, creators of Park Service Coffee, which is a mobile coffee trailer here in Columbus, Ohio. They've been in business for about a year or so. First started out doing some stuff at the BrewDog in Canal Winchester. For a while, we're popped up at the Open Air School, which has now uh, been renovated into a second location for Lawbird. And also Understory, uh, the bar from the Wolf's Ridge Brewing Team is open there too as well. You can primarily find Park Service Coffee now, uh, Monday through Thursdays at Seven Sun Brewing in the Italian Village. And then also Fridays, they're usually at the Locks Bagel Shop in the Short North Arts District. They post everything on their social media, at Park Service Coffee on Instagram. Uh, They post their schedule for the week, usually Sunday or Monday, um, where you can kind of find them. And then also updates if they encounter any challenges with, you know, traffic or getting hooked up or anything. And they open a little later or what have you. Or if they sold out for the day, too, as well. They do have a limited amount of water that they can use. So sometimes they do sell out just because they kind of ran out of uh, the water that they have in the trailer. So it's a super interesting kind of concept and operation. It's a lot more challenging than you would think. And I would say it's even more challenging than a traditional food truck. They essentially have to break down the interior every day and then start it up every morning. They've encountered different challenges with last fall, they got hit by a car. So that kind of damaged the trailer. They had to get repairs for that. They're still working on getting some repairs done because of that and some other challenges. So you can actually go to GoFundMe. They have a GoFundMe up and donate um, if you've never had their coffee or anything or just aren't able to kind of get over to where they're at and you want to contribute, feel free to do so. We'll post a link to that too as well for everybody to find it just so they can get the repairs that they need. But eventually they want to open a brick and mortar uh, location. And, you know, this is kind of how they started out the concept, but eventually want to pivot to that. And there's a lot of interesting ideas they have with reusability and sustainability and, and stuff like that. So about the first half of the episode is me and Cole And then Alexis kind of comes in in the middle and finishes up with us. So it's super interesting. They're awesome people. It's an awesome concept. If you, like I said, if you've never had their coffee, make sure to check it out. But you can do online ordering through their website, parkservicecoffee.com. So you can just go pick it up and order in advance. Uh, You can follow them on social media, mainly on Instagram, Park Service Coffee. Make sure to follow us on Instagram too, as well at Spoon Mob. You can check out our website, spoonmob.com. Make sure to follow, subscribe to the podcast, wherever you get your podcasts from. Without any further delays, this is my conversation with Alexis and Cole Garside, the owners, founders, creators of Park Service Coffee here in Columbus, Ohio. Thanks again for coming on the podcast. We're doing this a little late just because you're an early, early guy with the coffee and everything. So you guys have been in business, I think, for coming up on a year, which is pretty awesome. And I want to kind of get to the year mark and everything like that. But, you know, I'll start at the beginning where I usually start with everybody. I mean, how did you kind of first get involved with coffee? Were you kind of always working in restaurants, you know, in high school and college and stuff? Or how did all that kind of come together? First and foremost, thanks for having us on, Alexis. Hopefully we'll be stopping in here in just a minute once our youngest is down for bed. Honestly, it it was never something that was in our background work-wise. It was more of a passion. Love to just kind of get in the kitchen together and not only with coffee, but food or anything else, drink, just kind of experiment with new flavors, different techniques. And that's always been a good way for us to express ourselves. So we just wanted to A, cultivate that a little more and then B, just kind of find a passion and something that we could use and turn into careers and I guess make the most of it. 
Did either of you have a background in restaurants before starting Park Service? No, actually. I worked at Brioso for two or three months. uh, And that was actually in between. I was in the car business for 13 years on the service side. That was when we already had our minds made up that we were going to start Park Service. We knew that we wanted some, you know, I guess, frontline experience, I would call it, uh, or cafe experience. So I decided that I would start there as we were having the trailer built out. And they showed us or showed me the ropes, rather. No culinary background. I was, I guess, in a form of hospitality with spending 13 years in the car service industry. What was it about the car service industry that finally led to you deciding to move on and kind of pursue opening your own business and your own coffee business at that? Uh, Really just burnout. I was in that industry for 13 years. It was never something I sought out to do. It started as a job in high school and I guess I just got a little complacent and stuck with it even though I knew it wasn't ever to my core really for me. I got comfortable in what I was doing. And yeah, obviously, as the years passed, continued to gain experience. So it, I just stayed just be, kind of because I was there. But deep down, I knew it was never what I wanted to do long term. I saw kind of what it would do to people in that industry. And I, I just didn't want to turn into that. So Alexis and I just started thinking about what we wanted to do uh, with our lives and with our careers and landed on the mobile coffee business. And uh, decided to, I guess, break ground on that and start park service. Did you go to a tech or vocational school for car service or anything like that? Or was it just always on the job experience? Always on the job experience. I started just parking cars, washing cars, then started working on cars, then started advising on car repairs. And that kind of became my career. So majority of the time I was in the car business, it was as a service advisor I mean, you guys have been around for about a year, so probably COVID starts. Is that kind of really when you guys first start putting together a bit of a plan? Yeah, that was definitely a big factor and one of, I guess, one of the big pushes for us uh, towards really getting serious about starting this and taking this journey because we had always talked about, I don't know if jokingly would be the right term as much as just like wishingly. Uh, might be a better term uh, of starting a coffee shop. We figured it would be, you know, once our kids were off to school or even out of school, a later in life passion project. We never knew it was going to be mobile. We always thought it'd be more of a traditional brick and mortar uh, type of thing. And COVID happened. Like you said, we kind of saw that nothing is guaranteed in life. We lost some people that were important to us. And it just made us realize that even if it doesn't feel like the timing's perfect, you, you just never know what tomorrow is going to bring, let alone 10 years, 15 years, 30 years down the road. So we just took the plunge and now here we are almost a year later. So up to that point, like before you get to Brioso, you know, you guys decide on opening this, call it a coffee shop probably at that point, or or maybe up to that point, you decided that it had to be mobile. Were you just tinkering around with coffee at home or like how did you first kind of get into coffee was it just natural progression drinking it early in the mornings and then discovering different blends and stuff like that i honestly didn't have my first cup of coffee until i was probably 21 i'd had sips of like really bad 
dealership coffee and, you know, like the McCafe, basically milkshake coffee, I guess you'd call it. So just, it, I just kind of figured maybe it's not for me. Definitely not something that's for everyone, but Alexis got me into coffee as far as just from like a consumer standpoint. Her, like most students, was just basically living off coffee. And that was most of the time what she would have for breakfast. So she kind of pushed my curiosity in that. And then, yeah, a lot of tinkering at home. We had, you know, a small at home espresso maker. Then we got different tools for pour overs and even some kind of more niche or weird coffee tools like percolators and siphons. And it just kept growing and growing. And then we're, you know, looking at this collection of different tools and vessels for coffee. And about five years ago, I would say, is when we started talking about, hey, should we pursue this more? It's something that interests both of us, stimulates both of us. What can we do with this knowledge that we're gaining and this passion that we're creating together? And how how do we turn that into a business? So then we started talking and I guess one thing led to another, as they say. Did you specifically target Brioso? Like that's the place you wanted to work because of, you know, prior relationship or maybe you just love their coffee or was it just they were the one of the few places that were looking for help, you know, during that time period because some places were shut down? Like how did you go about getting in there? Yeah, it was definitely always Brioso for us. We always ended up there on the weekends. I would typically go in and I guess towards the end of my car career, almost every day for lunch, just as a way to like get away from the dealership for a minute, recharge the batteries a little, just kind of clear my headspace. I'd go, I'd have an hour of lunch. It'd be, you know, 20 minutes each way for my commute to get there, but it was just worth it for me. And it just helped me to kind of recenter and you know, find some peace in a stressful work day. They were always the ones that we wanted to work with and learn from because we being in there as often as we were, we saw kind of how smooth their operation was and we knew the coffee was great. So we wanted to figure out what they were doing so we would know more on the commercial level how to make great coffee. Did your wife Alexis wind up working there too as well or was it just you? Just me. Uh, she is kind of the motor that keeps the family moving here. She decided that she was going to take on continuing her full-time 40 hour a week job uh, just so that we could keep benefits as we try to get this thing off the ground because as I'm sure you know like most people do it's it's hard to insure a family of four privately without some sort of help from a you know a corporation or some stability from a job like that so uh, she and to this day she's still working that same job just so that we can continue to chase this dream so she hasn't had a chance to get that sort of experience until we got in our trailer. What all did you kind of learn at Brioso during your stint there? I mean, was it everything? Was it just kind of like a accelerated crash course in coffee, essentially? Or were there bits and pieces that you were specifically looking to learn that you didn't know because you knew kind of the rest from your own research and, and messing around at home? We did a ton of research. We did, obviously, a ton of messing around at home. One of the first things I said to them when I went in there was treat me like a blank canvas, just even if it seems like something I would know or something you know that I know, I want you to teach it to me like I'm a five-year-old, basically. So I wanted to kind of go in with that mentality that I was just a blank slate. 
put your stamp all over me. Teach me what you guys have been doing for 20 years now, uh, as of last year, just so I could learn everything their way. Think about the way that we want to do things, kind of put bits and pieces of both together and, you know, give the public, I guess, this result that's Park Service Coffee. Why did you guys decide on a trailer instead of brick and mortar spot or even like a traditional food truck? A lot of reasons. One being I didn't have any diesel experience with in my automotive experience. So I knew that that was going to be another thing I'd have to learn if I wanted to do the maintenance on a food truck, which it already felt like I was kind of learning so much about coffee and owning and operating a business. I wasn't ready to take diesel mechanic on on top of that. So with the trailer, it gives us the flexibility to say if my vehicle that primarily pulls it has to make a stop for repairs or maintenance or anything like that. We're not going to be out of service because we can always pull it with our other vehicle. It was a smaller investment up front than it would be to get a loan to either buy property and build out or rent property and build out, um, which we felt more comfortable with. And the trailer, a lot of the inspiration for the trailer was from a trip that we took in June of 2020 out to Washington state. When we were out there, we, it felt like everywhere that we went outside of like the major cities like Tacoma and Seattle, you couldn't drive more than like 10 to 20 miles without seeing a coffee hut just on the side of the road, just kind of on its own, just operating out of, you know, probably a 10 by 10 space. And we stopped at almost everyone that we could just because we were like really drawn to that and fascinated by it. How, you know, depending on, on the place you went, you could go in, stop in this essentially shed and get like a really great espresso or a really great cortado or a great pour over. At the time, it didn't feel like there was anything like that anywhere in the Midwest that we had really seen or noticed. So it felt like a really cool idea. And it felt like a really, I guess, fresh thing that we felt like was missing in our, our market. Was that kind of like your market research? Or did you do any other kind of market research on in terms of, you know, yeah, Columbus has a lot of coffee places, but majority of them, as far as I know, I mean, now I think there's probably a handful of coffee trucks, but really probably about the time that you guys are really looking into this, maybe there was one or two kind of mobile operations. You know, I can't even think of what those names would be, but pretty much everybody is brick and mortar at that point. Yeah, that was part of our market research, definitely. In Columbus, there had been some rumblings just, you know, on Instagram or Facebook of some others that were in the works. So with the trailer, how long did that take to build? Like, did you do it all yourself? So no, we actually hired out for that trailer process started in i don't honestly even remember the month i know it took seven to eight months it was projected about five to six but like most things during covid it was delayed just by a couple months so uh we picked it up it was march of last year so we've owned it now for about a year I started operating out of it in June of last year. So coming up on that mark too. But with the girls being so young and everything else, it it was just too much for us to handle uh, while we were still trying to piece everything else together around it. Outsourcing the build part, I'm assuming they were kind of probably like a RV manufacturer or something like that, or, or maybe like tiny homes or something that they had like a background in. 
Yeah, so the company we went with is called AeroBuild. They're based on the Nashville, Tennessee. They're one of the minis that we looked at through the process because they're, I mean, there's an overwhelming amount of options for people to do this out there, but we really like their kind of base platform. And then we had, it felt like unlimited options as far as like putting our own touches on it and uh, customization of the layout of everything, which was important, especially based on what I was learning at Brio. So about workflow, you know, from the order of the drink to the delivery of the drink. So went with them. Um, so far, so good. No complaints. Doing like the design of it, because you, like you mentioned, you know, you had some design aspects too. You know, I don't know how it's set up, but I'm assuming like if there's a, a like a water pup or something, like you kind of wanted that somewhat exposed so you could get at it, right? Yeah, we we have, I think, three different water pumps in there, two working refrigeration units, one that never really worked from the moment we got it. But that was another another one of those uh, COVID things. But yeah, I wanted it all to feel open. We wanted it all to feel bright and clean. We've seen, like I'm sure you've seen a lot of food trucks that sometimes you walk up to and you don't really know, you know, if you want to be eating what's what's coming out of there because they all have that same look where they're they're a little grungy and like a little rough around the edges. And our, our trailer's gotten, you know, plenty of character over the last year just from various bumps and bruises. But we just wanted it to feel almost, I guess, Scandinavian, minimalist, didn't want a ton of clutter, like you referred to, easy access to all the working parts so that we could keep everything well-maintained and get to it for repairs if if we needed to do that too. Did you have to go through like a permitting process or anything before opening? Yeah, a very, I guess, tedious permitting process. It was, it was a weird time to start a mobile business. Uh, right in the middle of COVID, almost all of the city, county, and state officials or employees that were in charge of these permit processes were almost all out of the office during COVID. So it was a lot of leaving voicemails or sending emails out into what felt like was a void, and just hoping for responses back because it, it was our first time doing it. And we had plenty of questions and we were lacking plenty of knowledge and into how that process went. But that was the main thing. We we kind of thought that when we picked it up in March that we'd be, you know, a week or two later ready to roll. But and I think it worked out for the best. But that that was a big thing that uh slowed us down and took us the extra, I guess, three months to get it from arrival to open. Do they wind up classing you guys as like a food truck or something like that? Or do they have a separate category for you? So we are classified as a food truck. What's been like the biggest challenge with operating the trailer? Honestly, uh, having to take it home every day. It's never sat in a spot that we've served out of overnight. So usually my mornings start at about four, getting out there basically double checking that from the night before everything's still secured because everything comes off of our counters and out from under our counters, except for the espresso maker. But then it has to be refilled with water every day. The wastewater has to be emptied. Obviously, grinders got to come down and get secured. You know, just with all those moving pieces, decent to good chance that things are going to go wrong, whether it's something not getting all the way secured or driving sometimes through the city 
where there's a lot of stop and go and maybe not everyone's paying attention to the road uh, and you're you're at their mercy with 16 feet worth of trailer behind you and that was actually what happened when we had our three-month hiatus the trailer was involved in an accident and was in the shop for repairs for three months uh from november until just about a month ago oh so someone hit you guys yeah so it's i guess long story short morning of service at seven sun i was coming off of the highway onto the downtown exit from 70 someone on mound street cut me off had to slam the brakes the trailer pushed up into the back of my vehicle bent the tongue damaged a bunch of the plumbing underneath damaged some of the like the frame that holds up the gray water tank so it was a bad enough to put us out of service and there's still a couple cosmetic things that need to be fixed from that that we in all honesty did not have the time to wait for repairs anymore it's pretty interesting like so you're basically you know breaking down the inside of your trailer i mean nightly obviously you're not having to redo you know plumbing or move a fridge in and out or anything like that but pretty much i mean everything that's inside that's not kind of bolted down comes out every night exactly and and unfortunately that has resulted in (laughs) redoing some plumbing from time to time just because everything you know we take the highway half the way home and everything at 60 miles per hour starts shaking starts moving if you're making turns it's flexing and moving around so that that can result you know i've i've walked out before and just had a puddle of water on the floor because one of the drain pipes you know all of a sudden out of the underside of one of our sinks or we've had a piece of equipment that were like tied down to a, a shelf fall off we've had brackets that support countertops buckle so we've kind of we've kind of had it all with the plumbing though because that seems to be kind of like a major thing i'm assuming that's all kind of runs underneath in between the frame and then you know you can kind of get at it and with your mechanical background are able to fix probably most of it yourself most of it yeah we've definitely had to recruit some help and we're fortunate to know you know through my contacts and even through some of Alexis's contacts. We've had some friends that definitely helped us with some of the stuff that we haven't had the experience or time to to deal with. So it's been really cool, I guess, just to see people like support and lift us up in some of our more trying times. The espresso machine that you picked, I think it's like a Seneso. Why'd you pick that one? Like what was so unique about it versus all the other kind of espresso machines out there? It's a really good question because that's, one of those things that kind of feels like buying a car where I guess if you look too long, then everything starts to get kind of foggy and, you know, certain features that might seem really cool. You might end up talking yourself out of just from fatigue of looking at everything. So is a great company based out of Seattle, which again was part of the, our trip to Seattle and the surrounding national parks was part of the inspiration. So it kind of felt right to work with a company based out of Seattle, the MVP hydro, which is the, model that we went with through Seneso has a lot of really cool features that make our service like a lot more streamlined. Volumetric, which part of Brioso's bar process or workflow process is weighing the shots. The cool thing about volumetric machines is that it does that for you. When we get in first, one of the first things we do is what's called dialing in our espresso. 
which is basically changing a set of different parameters to try to get the best extraction and well-extracted espresso and balanced espresso. So we go through, you know, we taste a few shots, adjust a few things, then we can set that program. We can set up to four total programs between the two group heads. So that helps us to get a lot more consistency with our espresso, as well as giving us some room to play with single origin espressos, uh, dial in and set programs for decaf espressos, and just do a lot of cool things that could be done on a, on a different machine, but maybe not done as easily from the research that we did. Do you have to adjust like the settings then for, you know, you're talking about all these programs. Do you have to adjust those every day, like run through a, a test? And is that based off of like air temperature or like humidity or anything? It has a lot to do with both of those things, which, which does put us at a natural disadvantage as far as like air temperature and humidity. Even like sunlight can affect that because if the sun's shining through bright, especially onto the espresso machine, it is naturally going to heat that up. So yeah, every day that those programs all change, which results in a lot of espresso tasting, you know, usually at 6.30 or 7 in the morning. I think we both learned pretty early that you don't have to swallow every shot of espresso that you taste. Kind of like wine tasting, you know? It's one of the things I think I was blown away with once we started working with Brioso to train was how many different variables go into a good shot of espresso. Not even a perfect shot of espresso, but just a just a good balanced shot of espresso. You've got four different stages that the shot goes through just from the time you start it to the time you stop it. Those external factors that we don't have any control over, grind size, grind consistency, tamp, like tamping the puck of ground coffee into the portafilter. If you come at it at a weird angle or put too much or too little pressure, that changes it. So it's honestly, it's, it's kind of miraculous that anyone can ever get served a, a, a decent shot of espresso with how many different factors there are. But I mean, it's within like tenths of a second for each stage that we're adjusting. So it's, you have to be precise and it can be challenging with our setup with everything moving so much and being so exposed, but we just try to do the best that we can, I guess. Do you have to adjust those settings and programs like mid, you know, shift? Like, cause I mean, you guys are usually open like seven to one, depending on probably, you know, the weather, whether it's summer or whatever, do you have to like stop for, you know, halfway through because it's getting warmer out and adjust and re, you know, calibrate? We do. So basically you, you set your parameters, you know, you, you work through the day and then you're constantly checking to make sure everything's staying within those parameters that you set. And as soon as you start to see whether it's the weight of the total shot, the amount of time it takes for the shot to from stop to start, or even just like the taste or smell, if you have the time to, to taste it in between serving, I'd say we probably dial in three to four times a day with just like our blend that is. So Single origin can be a little more finicky because blended espressos, you're getting 30% of one, another 40% of another bean from another origin with a, a different roast profile. But all, all they're trying to do with those blends is make it a little easier to work with. So single origin, I don't know, I guess it can be a little more finicky, but that can sometimes need dialed in five to six times a day, depending on the origin and just 
I guess, the end result. And you said earlier volumetric. So am I correct in assuming that that means kind of measuring it by its weight instead of cups or ounces or anything like because it's more accurate? Yeah. So we typically, we're looking to put 20 grams of ground coffee in the porter filter and get 40 grams of espresso out is just kind of like a a rule of thumb. So we're always going to put 20 in. Some days the the weather or the blend or whatever factor it may be may force us to do 38 gram shot. Other days it might be a 42 gram shot. But we set these parameters of like in that that case of the total shot weight, you want to be within about two grams of 40 altogether. But our machine, the volumetric setting will let you sort of dose out a certain amount of milliliters uh, for the end shot or how many milliliters of water it puts through the portafilter. So that's been like a really helpful tool for us and something that other machines won't let you set that volume of water going through the portafilter. So then you're having to, whether it's engage a customer or pour milk into a latte or whatever the case may be, you have to stop doing whatever you're doing just to make sure that you're turning off the group head to end the shot. The volumetric, you can tell it like once it reaches 375 milliliters, stop. So it gives us more flexibility to be more hands-off with the machine when we need to be, but still dialed in and on top of all of our parameters that we can adjust. How difficult is it to operate and even clean a legit espresso machine? Because I mean, I remember when I went to Australia, like, I mean, this is probably four or five years ago now, but every single place that had coffee had an espresso machine. I'm talking like even the little crappy shop at the ferry dock was making espresso. I'm assuming that's just kind of like a way of life down there. Is it super difficult? Does it need servicing like decent amount of time or what's all that like? That's another really good question. It's not difficult to operate one, just depending on the, on the machine or who's doing it. it I mean, it, I've seen machines almost as simple as like a Keurig where it's just insert coffee, press button. I think the hard thing really is just knowing how to dial that shot in because you can just like you can with a automatic drip coffee machine, like anyone can put coffee grounds into a filter and fill the machine with water and turn it on. But if you don't know how to, whether it's change the coffee to water ratio or whatever the case may be, even like temperature and stuff like that, if, you, if you're not aware of those things that can influence the taste of coffee and not doing what you can to control them and get them where they need to be or where you need them to be, then it, that I think that's the challenging part. And that's something that sometimes, you know, if like Ohio is kind of famous for if we have a, a day where we wake up and it's 25 degrees out in the morning and then by noon it's 70, like those huge fluctuations can make it hard for us to uh, get it dialed in. But we, you know, lean on that training from Rioso and just our experience and knowledge, I guess, that we're still continuing to, to gather and gain and just make it work. What do you look for in like the beans that you use? Because I mean, I, I know you use Brioso roasted beans, but you use some other stuff too. Yeah, we do. Uh, a couple new accounts that we had set up that we're really excited about are Little Waves Coffee out of Durham, North Carolina. They are the most recent micro roaster of the year. 
award recipient from Roast Magazine and Kelvin Coffee out of Pittsburgh. The owner actually came in to us and just ordered a coffee from us, liked what we served. He reached out and said, introduced himself for who who he is. And we ordered some coffee bags just to try and, and see. And we ended up really liking it. So it's, I guess, a lot of different ways. Like we knew we liked Brio. So just from kind of always drinking their stuff around town. Little Waves is one that we were just curious about because they had uh, garnered a, a decent amount of hype around the brand. And then Kelvin was a kind of organic thing that just happened from the owner happening to pass through Columbus, saw us, stopped in, ordered coffee. We chatted on Instagram and then ordered coffee from them, loved it and decided to serve it and sell it. So that's not, I wouldn't say that's where the list stops. Like we're, we're both very curious and know that there's so much coffee out there that we don't want to just solely rely on one brand or one, one roaster uh, when we're looking for coffee. So sometimes, you know, our nights consist of just going from roaster's website to another roaster's website just to see what's out there and see what catches our eye and I guess go from there. Do you have any plans to one day roast your own beans? We'd love to. We know we're still too early in the process to take on something like that. That would be something that would come with a brick and mortar because we don't really want to roast out of our home. And I, I think we would one of us would want to do some sort of apprenticeship, kind of like what we did with Brioso to where we're you know, not just relying on reading a book about it or you know, watching a YouTube video about it. We're actually getting real, real world, like on job experience of doing it and learning from someone that's done it. So with like uh, your kind of seasonal stuff that you do, kind of the chunk of the menu rotates, like how often do you change that? We don't really have a schedule for, you know, every three months we need to revamp the menu or add a new item. It's it's kind of just on feel. Like we, St. Patrick's Day kind of snuck up on us this year, just being, I guess, out of the, the party scene a little more and not getting as excited about uh, those type of holidays. And so that morning we were on the trailer and it's like, should we do something? Like, I don't know, we, we do a lot of, whether it's holiday specific or season specific drinks. And we just kind of started spitballing and decided that we would just do an affogato that day. The weather was kind of nice, as nice as it is as it gets in mid-March in Columbus, at least. Alexis had to go run to the grocery store anyways, I think, to pick up some milks uh, for the trailer. So she decided to grab a couple pints of ice cream, got some Lucky Charms just to sprinkle them on top for a little little more St. Patrick's Day feel and we rolled with it. So I wish we were better planners. Uh, we're not naturally. I think some of our better ideas have come about that way where it's just us kind of spitballing or experimenting with things that, that interest us. Or even if like in that case where we were kind of forced into, oh, today's a holiday. So we got to come up with something. I think those things give us cool opportunities to do cool things with coffee how do you go about like creating the seasonal beverages like do you just base it off kind of just what the season is or holidays that are upcoming like you kind of mentioned because i mean like i remember the one that i had it was like an island something like i'm pretty sure there was like coconut in there or maybe it was like coconut milk or, or something like that hot or cold or you know you could do it both ways so like 
how do you go about creating that stuff? So that was the island vibes. That's that's one that's still on our menu and actually ended up just being a, a mainstay on the menu now. It started as a summer special. It was actually our first special when we first opened in June. We had seen a lot of lavender lattes. I've never personally like gravitated towards that stuff as far as like floral elements with coffee. But something Alexis enjoyed, she, I think, was frustrated that it seemed like everywhere that she would go to order a lavender latte, it was either just lavender or lavender with honey. Uh, seemed to be kind of the, the only lavender coffee drinks in town. So we just tried to think about what else do we think could go with lavender. And a lot of our inspirations for stuff like that come from trips to like Saraga or international markets where we don't go in with any plan. We just kind of browse. If something catches our eye, we grab it, bring it home, and just kind of throw ingredients at each other and, and see what comes out and see what sticks. And that that was one that we kind of knew when we tasted it, like we were onto something or felt like we were onto something. I don't think either of us expected it to be a, a menu mainstay like it's become. But it was definitely cool just to know that what we were doing was working and people were receptive to it. And that, I guess, our process for creation was working and it wasn't as random as it felt sometimes. What's like the weirdest thing that you've come up with that did work and you were surprised about it? And then what's the weirdest one that like you came up with that it just didn't work? So I'm actually pulling up a notes app because I have a notes app of like late night ideas that, that just kind of something will come to mind. I'll just write it down I'm looking for a weird one. So here's a weird one that we haven't really played with. I thought of a spa water Americano. So spa water, meaning like whether it's cucumber and water or lemon and water or fruit and water, like an infused water of some sort with just a shot of espresso. I, I think my idea behind that is to, try to pair it with, say it's, you know, very floral forward coffee, pair it with a floral infused water or a fruit forward coffee, pair with a fruit infused water. A lot of them I'm even having a hard time uh, deciphering. Some of them too are just really bad puns that Alexis won't let me get away with. I wanted to call our eggnog latte uh, over the winter St. Thick, but I couldn't get her to get on board with that. What's a she's sitting here now? What's uh what's one that we did that just like flat out didn't work? Oh yeah. We tried to force like cranberry and rosemary into coffee somehow. And yeah, it was like the cranberry, I think the acid from it was like curdling the milk. The rosemary was making it taste kind of like potpourri-ish. Some of these things like we're just kind of naming ingredients that we we think might work and just don't, I guess. You know, maybe it's too soon to look far ahead, but based on your year experience with the trailer so far, is the next progression eventually for you guys to maybe look at like a brick and mortar location or does a second trailer make more sense? Is it just kind of too soon to, to really investigate that stuff? I know that before the accident, we were both already starting to look at some brick and mortar locations. We had only been operating for, I guess, four months, almost five. 
before that happened. So it everything we did in setting up the company was mindful of the fact that we didn't want any like interruptions to service or any, especially any unexpected interruptions. So we went brand new with the trailer, brand new with all of our equipment. You know, unfortunately something happened. It was out of our control and we had to take a three month hiatus from it that we weren't expecting. So we, you know, financially weren't prepared for that sort of stop in service. Right now we're just kind of trying to build back up what we lost uh, from those last three months. But I do think, or I know, I should say that the goal ultimately is going to be brick and mortar. Like it, it's just hard, you know, tearing it down every day, putting it back together every morning. Some of the instability that comes with your whole shot moving at 65 miles per hour day to day. And just, you know, one of the best things about Brioso that I didn't know was such a great thing until we started the mobile thing was the fact that you could just unlock the door, walk in, turn the lights on, and everything was, all the machines were up to temperature. You had water everywhere you needed it. Nothing else to it. It's just you get in there and you serve coffee and you try to make a few people happy at least, which we don't really have that luxury at this point. So yeah, that's that's definitely something that we're striving for, but baby steps. Because I know you've posted a few times, like you guys have sold out for the day. So what does that entail? Do you guys just, you're out of coffee or like, what does that actually mean? Which, I mean, it's a great thing to have happen, obviously, but I just, I didn't know what exactly, you know, when like Wario sells out, it's like they're out of bread. It depends. Um, it can mean out of coffee. It can mean out of milk. It can mean out of water. We've had like random electrical issues. Most of the time it's either water or coffee. With us being so small, we're limited on storage. Our, our tank holds 30 gallons of water, which sounds like a lot, but isn't necessarily if, you know, if we're brewing a lot of coffee or cleaning a lot even. And then, yeah, just our, our coffee storage can be pretty tight uh, sometimes. Honestly, recently, I think like just our, after the three-month hiatus, our purchase power has kind of gone down. So we are more on a week-to-week basis with coffee purchasing right now than we were before where it was more of a month-to-month and we could kind of schedule out ahead of time. All the all those things factor in definitely, but coffee and water, I think, are the main two things that we, we sell out of. Do you look for anything specific in your potential locations? Like, I mean, you know, you guys, I think, started out popping up at like City Dog Daycare, but you've done stuff at Brew Dog and Canal, the open air school when it was under construction, which is where I first encountered you guys uh, when you popped up there. But Seventh Sun, the locks, Katz's tires, you bounce around to a bunch of different places, but is there anything that you look for specifically with kind of one of the businesses that you partner up with? One of the main things is just, is it a company that or supported in the past? Uh, like our, the city dog thing, that literally came from we when we were both working our other jobs. I would drop our dogs off at city dog. And every morning it's like, why, why can't I just get a cup of coffee like anywhere around here before I had to work? I felt like I probably wasn't the only one thinking that. And then we looked into that area more. There's a ton of vehicle traffic. There was a lot more pedestrian traffic when Franklin University was in person, which obviously that that changed with COVID. But I, I think they're back to in-person now. So yeah, we, we always wanted to be you know a company that we love or support. We look for 
we've learned, I guess, to look for now more foot traffic than car traffic. Because I think just from going to different places, we've learned that just because there's a lot of people driving by it doesn't mean that people are going to stop, which I think is one of the ma- main advantages that we have now at Seven Sun is it's Italian Village is a very like lively area. There's Even when I pull up to Seven Sun at six in the morning, there's people out walking their dogs almost every day. Well, then like the food hall is like right across the street almost too. So I think some of those places are open for breakfast. Those things help. One of the things we've started looking more intently at is electrical access. We have a generator and can operate off of our generator, but it's just super inefficient. It burns a lot of fuel. We're trying to make a better effort to reduce some of our waste or some of our environmental impact. Because unfortunately, there's just a lot in the coffee industry. So Seven Sun is like, it's, I think to this point, been one of our favorite spots to, to work at because we can plug in our espresso maker as well as our trailer. And they have, you know, a beautiful patio area where as the weather continues to get better, it's it's almost like, like a pseudo dine-in type of cafe experience, which we don't typically have. So yeah, it's a lot of factors, but foot traffic, the company itself and competition. There's just not, at this point, at least a lot of other coffee options, unfortunately, in an Italian village with Mission having moved out. And Stoffs is in there now, I think, right? Or did they leave? They moved out. Yeah. So they actually moved out. And a, a main reason was because their hours, Monday through Wednesday, they're not open until like three. And then uh, Thursday through the weekend, they open. So it's just Fox in the Snow then, like is kind of the only place in the area, really, unless you walk down to like into the short north. Right. Which Fox in the Snow obviously does a great job. And I think they, in a sense, almost help our business because a lot of times, you know, if someone's just looking for a cup of coffee and they don't need the the pastry or the breakfast or the lunch uh, to go with it, we're almost a good like overflow option. Uh, so, you know, they don't have to wait typically to to get a cup of coffee from us. And we try to make our processes as smooth and convenient as possible by offering the online ordering. And I mean, my phone number is on the side of the trailer. So I tell people they can call or text me with an order if if they want to or need to. I didn't know you guys did online ordering. We do. Yeah. We're terrible self-promoters. So I didn't know that. So that's that's good. That'll get out there uh, now and hopefully get some head orders too. You guys usually do some stuff with uh i think woodhouse vegan right sometimes too as well they'll kind of pop up next to you guys we do so we actually through the three-month hiatus we're popping up in their space uh operating as like a pour over bar uh but even before that we were we were using their baked goods to sell on the trailer we try to always find a local baker try to find someone like as close to where we're parked as possible if if we like it and we think it's a good product. So Woodhouse made it really easy on us. A, just being so close. B, we we do, we're not vegan, but we really like the fact they're serving vegan items so that we can keep our food options as accessible as possible uh, to everyone. Because we we try to do that with our coffee drinks as well. It was kind of a, I guess, a match made in heaven. All their stuff's so good. Like, uh, like I said, we're not vegan, but we don't have to be vegan to enjoy it. The cheddar herb scone is like our 
best-selling pastry that we've had on there, baked good, I guess, rather, uh, that we've had on there. And it's 100% vegan, but I've had my dad try one and he had no idea, <laughs> no idea it was vegan until I, I told him. I think it's awesome to, to work with people like that. There's been like a, a handful of mobile copy operations that have kind of come online, you know, around the time that you guys did, or like you mentioned earlier, we're kind of in the works. Is that kind of like a supportive community at all, or is everyone just kind of in their own corner, like going to their own locations? It's super supportive, honestly. It's super collaborative. Even we've we've partnered with Honeycup which they're going through a little bit of a transition right now, but we've partnered with them for a drink where we've bought a syrup that they make to flavor one of our drink specials for, for an event. They were, you know, a huge support during our downtime Woodhouse, like I said, not that Woodhouse is in that, that realm, but they, they were a big support rising sun coffee, uh, which is really operates more in like Asheville, South Bloomfield, so kind of south of Columbus. We've gotten really close to them uh, and their family. So yeah, it's a it's a great community to be a part of, and one that we feel really lucky to be a part of because I've I've never gotten a sense of anyone trying to do wrong by us or us feeling like we need to do better than any one of them. It's really cool, especially coming from the car business, where a lot of times couldn't trust the guy sitting the next desk over from you. You know. You're not normally open on the weekends, right? What led to that decision? Last year, we booked a lot of events. A majority of of those events were on the weekends. We're starting to book a lot of those events now. They don't really ramp up until the weather gets better, of course. So we, with the trailer getting just fixed and back up and running recently, we were kind of in like a, a weird spot where we were trying to figure out if we need to be open for weekends until these events start to book or if we want to sort of ease in make sure first and foremost the trailer's working right uh secondly that we <laughs> i guess had the the mental bandwidth to handle that on top of just getting everything else back together so that's the main reason just uh, availability for events but it's cool that we have the control to you know say if there's nothing going on for a few weekends in a row we can roll up to a lot of different places and just post up and start serving, I guess, if if we feel like we need to. I'd say people probably have anywhere from three to five kind of go-to coffee spots, like in their rotation. That's probably all they have really the capacity for, you know, like, I mean, you guys had your spots too as well before you got involved in this. Being kind of the new kids on the block, how do you guys approach, you know, trying to become one of those handful of places that are in someone's kind of regular rotation? The most important thing for us, honestly, is just garnering relationships with our customers and just making sure that we're doing everything that we can to give them like a welcoming environment and a a warm experience so that they want to come back. Like we don't want them just to come back for the coffee or like a specific drink that they like. We'd rather them come back because they enjoyed themselves there. They felt good about being there because more often than not, we can be like the first people that someone sees in between their house and work. So just making sure that we're not doing anything to put them in a bad mindset, I guess, while while they're on their way to work is 
you know, Monday mornings can be kind of a, a cruel thing. And we, we don't want to give any more fuel to, to that fire. So I think like our customer experience is honestly our, our main focus above and beyond coffee. And we, we put everything in, into coffee, but we, we've gotten really great cups of coffee from a lot of different places, but didn't really connect with the vibe kind of thing. Yeah. I think coffee can be kind of stuffy where you're almost intimidated to ask questions as a, as a consumer. We've never wanted to give that type of feeling. Cause if, you know, if you've looked at a bag of coffee and it says Ethiopia, Sadamo, and it's got the producer's name, elevation, process, all those things. Like, I know that could be like reading Mandarin for someone that has no experience reading Mandarin and you should feel like you can ask those things. And, and I think we noticed that we didn't always feel like when we were on the consumer side that we could ask those things without getting a certain look or feeling that we were dumb for asking or not knowing. So we just wanted to kind of get rid of all that, especially at our shop, and just make people feel like they want to come back and hang out with us more, I guess. You guys are coming up on you know a year kind of running this business is there anything that you'd look to do differently we've just learned so much over the last almost year now that it's obviously there's lots of things that we would change but i think the main thing might be just having like a better financial stability before we started i still have my like full-time job on top of this so obviously we've got that as you know backup when we were off for a couple of months but yeah i would just say like really financially planning this out before and we did we did to some degree but we uh, we obviously there's things that happen that are out of your control but like a bigger rainy day fund almost kind of yeah yeah we we sort of i say sort of but we did put everything into this business and we had savings and you know just put all of our chips on the table i think and like i was telling you earlier we when we were making these investments we were trying to be smart about it to reduce the risk of you know having any interruptions in service but those things don't always work out so when you when you go all in you can you can crap out pretty big too (laughs) with your experience around coffee is it a lot like food where people don't understand necessarily the true costs associated with it i mean there's some people that probably are like five bucks for a cup of coffee like i'm not paying that and it's like this mental barrier is that kind of the same in the coffee world like it is in the food world where people don't really understand, you know, all the in- costs of ingredients, like what those actually do cost and how everything's kind of priced out? Definitely. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, we've never really had like our, I feel like our customers are like super understanding. They know we put a lot of heart and effort into our drinks and we source a lot of great coffee, but we obviously have people that aren't familiar with, you know, the cost of green coffee now. And just the effort that it takes to make a good cup. So I think you definitely have like a little bit of pushback, just maybe not verbally, but you kind of have someone looking over your menu and just a little perplexed that, you know, we do price our lattes anywhere from 6 to $7. And we know we spend all our evenings either prepping for the next day or making new drinks and stuff like that. But I think the other part of that too is if you think about it, there's no, not a lot of available coffee that's grown in the US. So Hawaii is like the one spot that's growing 
coffee that you can find in some shops. There's some growers in California, I think like the Humboldt region that are growing coffee too, but it's not, even the Hawaiian coffee is not like readily available or a huge exporter of coffee. So you're talking about it's coming from Central America, Africa, South America, even like Asia. So it's all imported. The wages for the producers of coffee are often unfair because the everyone's trying to keep the cost of a cup you know, low or whatever they think the, I guess, median cup of coffee should cost. But it's all coming from somewhere. And then when it gets here, you know, it still has to be roasted, which takes a lot of experience to know what you're doing on the roast side. Like we talked about earlier, just even on our side uh, at the you know very last stop for the coffee beans, like we're dialing in the espresso, which means wasting a lot of espresso just to make sure that the espresso you're getting in your cup is perfect. Because we could, a lot of other places, just grind up coffee and you know put it in the port filter and whatever spits out you're getting. But yeah, it's... I think especially now with green coffee prices going up and more fair representation on the production side and more fair pay, hopefully continuing to be the the norm on the production side, the, the cost of coffee is just going to have to go up. You guys have a reusable cup initiative, I think, where you guys give like 10% off. Someone brings a reusable cup. Why don't more places offer something like that? Like I was thinking about this the other day when I was flying back, like the airline, they all use plastic cups and every once in a while, like they'll use paper. And I'm like, well, why don't people just use more paper? You know, it's supposed to be recyclable and everything like that. And, and plastic just seems a little bit more wasteful. But in your experience, are people just a little weirded out by COVID and, and don't want to kind of do the reusable cup thing? Or, or what do you think that's all about? I think initially that was some other shop's hesitation. It's something we definitely talked about too and it was like really hot and heavy so to speak uh especially with our girls being too young to be vaccinated and being more vulnerable just with their age but i mean we try to do a lot just to reduce our environmental impact even though we're small now we have aspirations to grow and i think if we set this good foundation of look for ways to reduce waste then we can continue to build on that. We've we compost all of our grounds. Right now it's just at home, but we're kind of running out of out of space to compost just because of how much coffee grounds we produce day to day. The reusable cup initiative. We've looked into changing uh over to glass from plastic for our cold drinks, especially. It gets a little trickier with hot drinks just because the it has to be a certain type of glass to withstand the heat. But that's something we started experimenting with, the glass vessels for, for cold drinks. Uh, when we were doing the pop-ups with Woodhouse while the trailer was down, we were going into Brioso like late at night, pulling hundreds of shots of espresso and mixing up a bunch of just iced lattes that were more of a grab-and-go style. So Woodhouse could stock their coolers and we could continue to try to make enough money to keep things afloat. So it's cool to see that it worked to some degree. We're still trying to figure out a good process to go glass, but make it to where we don't have to affect our pricing. Just I think it would have to, to some degree. There's not serving out of glass isn't popular right now. It's mostly paper, but yeah, I don't, I'm not sure why a lot of places don't offer that 
if I'm being honest. I don't know. I don't know the reasoning behind it. I don't know if it's like a, just like a concern for grabbing someone else's cup from home or what the reasoning is behind it. But we definitely want to try to reduce as much as our impact as possible. And hopefully we'll be able to go paperless with all our cups. I think the tricky part will be just like creating enough incentive to bring back the glass so that we're not continuing to have to repurchase glass containers. But I think it would be a really cool idea. I know there's a couple of places that have already done it before. Um, so we'd love to be able to have that. Just right now with moving every day, glass isn't our friend. So uh, I think it would have to be like once we have a brick and mortar. That would make it easier too. Because I mean, there's like breweries that do the whole leave your mug here thing. So like that's even something that you could potentially do if if you have the room at a brick and mortar you know, leave your coffee cup kind of here thing. I think we come up with a lot of good ideas for stuff like that. And then it all comes down to, well, we're in a trailer, so we're kind of kind of limited with, because yeah. glass, like glass and aluminum are almost infinitely recyclable, but they're hard to store, they're hard to transport. Yeah, so it's, I think that's where most of that stuff stops for us. We, we just try to be creative in, in ways that we can do our part. So you guys are, you know, coffee professionals. I mean, when people are making coffee at home, what's kind of the one thing that a lot of people do that they shouldn't do? I kind of personally believe like if you like what you're doing, you're happy with what you're doing, then I like who am I to tell you to change it? I I also do think I guess if I was gonna add one thing to a coffee novice's repertoire, it would be to do things by weight and not by volume. Yeah, I mean, it's just like baking. Like you really have to be precise with what you're doing, whether that's buying a thermometer and making sure your water's up to a certain temperature, weighing out how much water you're using, the yeah. coffee, all of that. Coffee to water ratio is a is a big deal. And that changes from vessel to vessel uh, and even coffee to coffee. So I, I guess just being more cognizant of how much water you're using compared to how much coffee and going more off of a like wait and time type of sense than the other way, whatever that is. <laughs> Just scoop that in is, your coffee. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's what we used to do. Running a business with each other, you know, husband, wife, ownership duo. What's that been like? I don't know if me and my wife could run a business together. I don't know. I think we might kill each other somewhere in the middle of it. There's definitely been really, really hard times. It's funny because like we really have a good time on the trailer together. I think they're hard days for sure. And especially the last couple of months, they've been really tough, like financially and just logistically trying to get something fixed that you worked really hard for and kind of put everything on the line. But I think we've learned a lot about each other. Yeah, I think we both like what works for us and what what helps to make this work is I guess a lot of the same reasons like our relationship works just personally, like there's certain things that she's really good at and really not good at. And I'm the same way. And like, luckily, a lot of those things are pretty opposite. And we're both like, not too proud to say, like, I can do it just because I want to do it. I'll be the first one to tell her like, hey, this is something I suck at. So I need (laughs) like, it it can be as simple as like responding to someone on Instagram. I, I think I have a very like, dry and direct way of texting. (laughs) And sometimes that that can seem a little You're like standoffish. Yeah, yeah. And she's a little more bubbly through text and inviting. But I also think like on the trailer, a lot of times you'll see me on the 
customer facing side and her on the espresso machine because she's a lot better than I am with like latte art. I can talk like all day if you let me a lot <laughs> of times. So I, yeah, you're a people person. Yeah. So yeah, I, don't know, I, I guess just finding those strengths and weaknesses, identifying them and then being able to delegate like amongst yourselves. Yeah. And I think like it's been really important for us over the last couple of months to really take time away from work, away from our kids, just like to focus on each other because our work doesn't end when we leave. It's just, it's always, you know, always on our mind. Yeah. We're owners (laughs) slash baristas slash social media managers slash event coordinators. (laughs) Yeah. Accountants. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes we don't, we're not the best at juggling all of that. So no, I mean, you know, certain things have to take priority over the others for sure. So, I mean, you know, you got to do the accounting before you can kind of do the social media aspect for sure. Is there any like secret or trick to latte art since you're the more artist of the two? Is it about temperature of the milk or what kind of goes into that? Oh, wow. It's been a process for sure. Cause I, I didn't have any like coffee experience in a shop prior to owning this. So I just learned on the fly and with the help of Brioso. But honestly, it is like the texture of the milk is key and making sure you get a good crema on your espresso. Um, And then just going for it. I don't know. I feel like if I was, you know, when I was first starting, I tried to like make certain shapes or make it work when it wasn't. So I just like started pouring myself and I've kind of gotten just used to you know, how you hold your pitcher and all of that. So milk temperature and like getting a good microphone is super key for lots of air though. What's next for you guys professionally? I mean, you got the trailer back. Cole, you mentioned, you know, some events and stuff that you guys are waiting on the schedule. Is it just kind of getting out there and, and just being available, you know, as, as much as possible over the course of the next year before you guys can kind of maybe move on to the next thing? I think so. Yeah. Right now, a lot of what we're doing is just trying to like i guess almost reestablish ourselves we we feel like we fell out of the loop a little bit when we were down and i think just trying to get back to like a place where we're comfortable working because like like i mentioned seven sounds great because we can plug in but a majority of our events were relying on the generator which is like a whole nother burden it's i mean it's like a 350 pound piece of equipment that has to be moved it has to be fueled there has to be sufficient space to set it up in which a lot of times for these events it's your first time in the space and definitely first time working in the space yeah so i think the main thing right now is just like feeling like we've got our feet back under us this year like our main focuses are reducing waste and leaning into more of the I guess artisan coffee type of stuff. I hate the word artisan, but I, I don't <laughs> know what else to use. Uh, but more like single origin espressos, more pour overs. Like we've gotten a, a lot of interest in our seasonal drinks and like our our different flavors and that stuff. But we want to have stuff for more of the coffee snobs too. Snobs a terrible word too, but coffee af- aficionados maybe aficionados yeah (laughs) yeah sure yeah uh but like i guess just the purists that just want like a really well done shot of espresso and they really want to taste the where it came from the terroir yeah of the region it came from so we want to lean into more of that because that's really my passion with coffee is just just tasting a 
you know, being for where it came from and who produced it and how they processed it and how it was roasted and all, all those things. Like I, I really love that. And that, that really excites me, but not losing a sense of like who we are with the fun stuff that we do too. Like we still want to be the able to put side. lucky charms on an affogato if we're feeling like it or, you know, go to Saraga and just fill up a cart with ingredients that we haven't tried just so that we can say that we've tried them and see if they're good with coffee or if they're terrible. And then, yeah, I think this is our grinded out year, honestly, it's yeah. our <laughs> try to play around with a bunch of new stuff. Like we've started carrying more retail bags to just offer something else um, for anyone that wants to brew coffee at home and they don't want to, you know, pay for a cup of coffee every day. So we're definitely taking as much feedback as possible this year and trying to really learn from you know, the course of the last couple of months and hopefully be better and, you know, be able to get in a spot where we'd be able to start looking for a permanent spot. This next question comes from the previous guest on the podcast, Amy Spassoff. She's a food and beverage photographer down in Cincinnati. She wanted to know what trend do you hope burns out and what trend do you hope makes a comeback? Could be ingredient or style of coffee, anything like that. It's a really good question. I don't know if this is like a trend, but I think the thing I really want to see like go away with coffee in general is just like the the sort of uppityness that comes with some of the like third wave coffee shops where like I was saying earlier, like you almost feel bad asking questions like what's a cortado or what's, you know, what does this mean? What does this elevation mean on this bag? I, I think it should be more approachable because like everyone drinks coffee so why why do we as coffee professionals sometimes feel the need to exclude someone just because we don't think that they know as much as us I, like i really just hate that whole energy that you can sometimes get when you walk into a coffee shop but i don't know if that's a trend so I, yeah i don't know i mean it's definitely something we've noticed i don't know if it's really a trend i mean maybe dark roast is more of the trend than we <laughs> i mean yeah it, people love dark roast coffee um but yeah we hate it honestly it's just not for us and like <laughs> we don't think that because it's not for us that like there shouldn't be any out there either so i i don't know that i necessarily want to see it go away because then that that feels kind of exclusionary too but it's just not our thing like i, I don't know it's i was saying i i like to taste everything about the region and the production and the roasting of the coffee. And I, I feel like if it's over roasted, a lot of times it's, you lose a lot of those intricacies that you would get otherwise, if it were more lightly roasted, what do you think? What's your trend? I was going to say this is going the opposite way, but I love like people getting creative with coffee. And I think we're obviously seeing it more. There's a lot of shops in Columbus that have started experimenting and just like basically making up mocktails and adding coffee. Like I love just finding new stuff to play around with. Um, we love our espresso tonic, espresso sparkling water. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I like the creativity that we get from that. Yeah, I think we both think like the bar scene as far as like cocktails or like specialty like craft drinks go you know, they're pretty far ahead of a lot of coffee shops and just like the, the creativeness of like what all goes into a drink. I, that's a place that now I feel out of place is like if we go to a bar and I look at a cocktail menu, 90% of the, the things going into a drink, I, I don't always think that I, I recognize whether it's different 
liqueurs or bitters or whatever it might be. So yeah, I think like seeing coffee catch up with that would be really cool. What's a question you guys want to leave behind for the next guest? It can be anything. We actually did talk about this because we re- researched before we got on here. We <laughs> thought that this might be coming. Now, how do we phrase it? I think it was just, what are you doing to reduce environmental impact and reduce waste? I think we're pretty fortunate in coffee that a lot of our waste byproduct is either biodegradable or compostable, other than the cups, which we're trying to still work through. But we also want to challenge other people to be more aware of their impact on the environment and ways that they can reduce waste, whether and it doesn't have to be anything big. It, it, I think a lot of the changes can be made pretty simply. This next question comes from one of our listeners. What is one thing that you wish you could do that you aren't able to or aren't allowed to with your current setup? I mean, I wish we could serve out of class and serve customers in person. Because I think that's the one thing we miss is like getting real-time feedback, at least for me personally. I I think it's fun to talk about this kind of stuff because that's the best way that we can make adjustments or learn from other people too. I think we miss out on a lot of just conversations with other people um, with our setup. We don't really get to have, um, we don't really get to, I mean, we do a little bit, it depends, but we, we have a lot of great customers and I'd love to be able to talk to them more and get to know them because we see them every day with our setup. Obviously, it's a little limited. So we got a handful more questions for you guys. Ask these to everybody who comes on the podcast. So nice compare and contrast. Tinkered them a little bit just so they're kind of related to coffee. But who would you guys say is the biggest influence on your careers thus far? I think James Hoffman, personally, he's uh, big on coffee YouTube, I guess. Just a big coffee persona. Mm -hmm. But I think he does a really good job of a, making things feel approachable and then be like answering a lot of questions that other people might think are stupid. Um, but he also, he backs it up with a lot of science, which I think is nice. Um, yeah. Because you kind of know the why behind certain things. But yeah. He's-, he's very detailed, very in-depth, which I think is something we both try to do too. Like if, if a quote unquote, like coffee nerd comes up and asks us questions about like more very like specific or detailed questions about coffee like we want to be well equipped to answer those things and feel like we are but we also like if someone just says like i don't know i like this this drink from starbucks what do you have like that we don't want to tell them to like fuck off and go back to starbucks if if that's what they like so he's one of our role models definitely is that the same answer for you too alexis yeah i honestly didn't know how to answer that question so yeah i don't know i I think that was a good answer the give give and take (laughs) So what's a piece of equipment every at-home coffee drinker should own? A, a really kettle. good grinder. Ooh. I said a kettle. I think a kettle for me would be key because I think you can grind, get your coffee grounds by a professional with, you know, a commercial grade equipment and it'll stay fresh. You know, obviously fresh ground coffee is going to be great, but I think at-home grinders are a lot more inconsistent than obviously something that we have, but for me, it's a kettle. I feel like you get like, you know, you're able to get your temperature right and pour precisely. I'm sticking with that answer. But I don't know. I just, you can't really beat fresh ground coffee. And I think there's now a lot of ways to make really great coffee without a kettle. Um, like AeroPress is like a great tool that we use daily. We have a tricolate brewer that you don't really need a 
like a gooseneck or precision kettle for grind consistency is super important, super key, which is, I know why she said getting it ground, you know, at a shop or at a roaster can definitely result in a, a better cup. If you can get that consistent grind and kind of dial in your own recipes at home with knowing that you have a consistent grind, I think there's a lot of really cool things that you can do uh, just at home with coffee. This isn't a question that would fall in here, but it just kind of popped into my head. How long can you store coffee after you ground it? What's like the rough estimate? Even if it's like one of the ones that's got like, uh, you know, your storage containers, you know, fairly well sealed and it has one of those little like air filter thingies in it. It's hard to say. I feel like it depends on the coffee for sure because there's some coffee that ages better than others. I would say a couple of weeks. Like if you're just... And it's almost like new card appreciation. Like it's gonna, I guess, go from like fresh ground to not pretty fast. I guess we'll need to test this out. And it kind of hovers like in that range of like, it's getting stale, but it's not like too stale to drink for, like she said, a, a few weeks. I just know like there's one thing, I think it was like Coffee Gator or something we used to have. They had these little replaceable filters in there and they're like, oh yeah, it'll last for like six months. And I'm like, man, that just seems like a long time to be lasting for six months after it's ground. Yeah, Mm -hmm. with coffee, it's like very shelf stable and it's like, I mean, a lot of like K-cups and stuff like that. Like who, who knows how old some of that coffee is in there and how long ago it was ground. So like you can still drink it, like it's not gonna do any harm, but it's also not going to be the the best cup of coffee that you've ever had. I think James Hoffman did like a video about trying some like, I don't know, yeah, like it was like the 1900s. Yeah. Like this coffee was, you know, produced and ground and he tried it and drank it. So it's still drinkable. It's not like moldy or anything. But yeah. Yeah. We like we honestly, we try the two weeks from roast. If it's whole bean, it seems to be kind of this like general sweet spot. If you can wait like a week after it was roasted, then like in that week to two week period, you're going to get really great, consistent coffee. But if there's any way you can hold out to grind it until you're ready to use it, that's that's really the best. What's a coffee place that you guys would recommend that isn't your own? So you guys are closed. What would you recommend people go try? I would say Parable. That would be my first choice. I feel like they always put out consistent espresso Super good. Um, they're always playing around with fun drinks too, like us. So I think it's fun to kind of try what else is out there. And we've all obviously kind of spewed our love of Brio still all over this podcast. But <laughs> other than them, uh, Honey Cup would be another one that we both really love. They're like, I've never had anything I haven't liked from them. Yeah. Super cool guys. Like their espresso is always super dialed in. They're a smaller operation like us, but they're they're doing the most with it. They're kind of in a, a bit of a transition uh to a more stable brick and mortar. So they're I guess kind of helping set the bar for us too. So shameless plug of of honey cup coffee. Bucket list travel destination. And let's say bucket list restaurant or coffee place that you guys want to go to, but haven't been to travel. I really think like Italy would be cool. I I just a country that's like so passionate about flavors, cuisine, and even coffee. Like the way that they do coffee there is completely different than like how we would even do it. But I think I would just really appreciate the process of seeing how they do it and like getting a better understanding of how they do it or why they do it that way. 
bucket list coffee shop. I think Cat and Cloud out in Santa Cruz. It's Chris Baca's another YouTube podcast coffee guy. And he's a lot more than that, obviously, too. But he's, I think, been one of our bigger inspirations. So just seeing how his shops are set up and seeing how they do things day to day, I think would just be a really, really cool experience. And they're, I think, not even like my favorite roaster. I just think the experience of seeing one of their shops and seeing how it operates would be really cool. Well, we watched a lot of his videos when we were training too. So kind of felt like it was a little one-on-one training sesh. Same answers for you, Alexis? Um, I think the yeah, Cat and Cloud would be fun, but you gotta do something different. I, I I have my answer for my destination. I was gonna say like Thailand, Cambodia. That those two places have been at the top of my list for a while. Um, and obviously Thailand would be cool, just like because we could go to you know a coffee farm and experience the different types of food there. Completely different culture. I think my favorite part is obviously like immersing myself in the culture, but also trying their food and drink. I think that's like the best way to get to learn a new place. Coffee roaster. I don't know. I feel like the the options are endless right now. Maybe Onyx. Where are they based out of? Arkansas. 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 Okay. That's surprising to hear. <laughs> yeah. They, uh, Parable carries a lot of their, their coffees. They're really great coffee. Food or drink guilty pleasures or anything that you guys just can't stay away from, whether it's fast food related or candy or anything, you know, it's like super unhealthy, but you just can't help yourself. Knock off Doritos. They're a packy brand. That's your guilty pleasure, I think. I was going to say Taco Bell, but <laughs> those are, yeah. Packy brand is another shameless plug. He drove to a different Kroger on the other side of town to pick them up. So I'd say they are a little yeah. bit of a guilty pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> what about drink? I don't know. I mean, I don't, yeah, I don't really like coffee. <laughs> coffee and water <laughs> is like all I drink, really. Yeah. I mean, mix in the occasional beer, but I feel like Taco Bell is like an honorable mention because yeah. it's consistent so tried and true (laughs) like always know and like that's i i feel like more so than other fast food places that's somewhere where we like feel like we can express ourselves a little more with with their menu (laughs) i i'm like notorious for going in and like modifying like everything about every item that i get and just customizing because you've answered taco bell and i've had i mean a decent amount of people answer taco bell since we started this podcast, what is your kind of go-to order when you go to Taco Bell? It honestly changes almost every time I go. Yeah, Cheesy Gordita Crunch is, I guess, my go-to. That's the one thing I don't really modify, but I love, like, I'll get a quesarito, no sour cream. I'll add in the creamy jalapeno sauce. Sometimes I'll mix in potatoes instead of beef. I, it gets weird, honestly. <laughs> There's been times that I've gotten, I think the weirdest thing probably is the cheese roll-up uh, that they have. It's like on their dollar menu. It's literally just tortilla rolled up, big tunnel of cheese right through the middle of it. And I put the Frutista Freeze strawberry topping, which is like a syrupy topping with uh, chunks of strawberry, like cut up strawberry in it. And like, if anyone's brave enough to try it, it's a great like replacement on the fly if you're craving a crepe for whatever reason. <laughs> so, I've never had it, so I can't attest to anything. Yeah, I've got. They used to have these uh, caramel apple empanadas, or like 
I asked them once if they could mash that up with a Choco Taco on a bowl. Like it gets really weird <laughs> a lot of times if, if we're a Taco Bell. Favorite coffee to work or, or drink with? Ooh. You've been loving that Brazilian coffee from Little Waves. Yeah, it's really nice on espresso and pour over. Yeah, it's Fazenda Cochera. It's a single origin Brazilian coffee that Little Waves roasts that we've carried now a couple times. And I, I feel like that's been... If you like chocolate-covered strawberries, then this coffee is the right move. It's so good. Um, but it's not like... It's not roasty, so you're not getting just like that nuttiness that you usually get from those types of coffee or like chocolate-forward coffees. But yeah, it's, it's, it's versatile and it's, I don't know, homey. Because I like to drink like a pour-over first thing in the morning. And I don't know, I like something that's... Just warming. I don't know. Brioso's espresso blend, when it's dialed in, it's it's hard to top. Honestly, it's there's a lot of days I like it over our single origin offering, if we have one that day. And it even the flavor profile of that from day to day with like the different variables that we we have, it, it can change a lot. So I guess that would be like my favorite one to work with just because I kind of know how to work with it you like consistency yeah yeah <laughs> in, a, in an inconsistent world that we live in on the trailer favorite instagram account you guys follow at alexis garside <laughs> no um i'm honestly trying to think of like everyone that we follow right now because i feel like we both scroll through so we don't always see everyone on our feed i'm i'm honestly more of a twitter guy admittedly i think that's instagram distillery cats you love True. Anything like bodega cats, distillery cats. It's not like coffee related, but that doesn't matter. I'm always curious to to know like what's the one account that like stands out to somebody. I mean, people have had like uh, shitty wine memes, but bodega cat. I mean, I've seen some of uh, some of the bodega cat videos where there's dudes just walking down the aisle and there's a cat laying on like the Cheetos and stuff like that. <laughs> just the Nothing general lax of fucks given by those cats. <laughs> I think is inspiring i i'm a big on twitter and i don't know if it's on instagram or not and I, I don't even know the name of the accounts this this will sound bad and i should give them a lot more credit with all the joy they've brought to my life but there's this guy that just it's like grabbing food with force i think is the name of the account and he literally just like he'll take whatever food it is whether it's ketchup packets or a burrito or like a milkshake and just squeeze the life out of it and take a picture of it and it's that simple and like sometimes that's all i need is just to scroll that feed i'm a anthony bourdain fan but not everybody is if you guys were was there an episode moment or scene about him that stood out to you if you weren't is there some sort of kind of tv culinary personality um, that you guys always kind of gravitated towards we're a big fan yeah we love sure. bourdain yeah we went like on a binge of like all all his seasons but i don't know if i have like an episode that's sticking out in my head one of my favorite like i think one of both of our favorite cooking shows is fuck that's delicious with action bronson and crew and mm -hmm. I, I think that's like we love bourdain i think the honestly the the thailand episode is one that i remember yeah like really really liking really connecting to but like like bourdain does a good job of where like he's not just going to the you know, three Michelin star restaurants in the region. He's also going to the dive bars and 
you know, pubs that serve that kind of food. I, I like that. Fuck, that's delicious. Kind of is more centered around that stuff and more of like the the neighborhood spots that the people from the neighborhood are going to instead of you know the elite spots where the elite go to too. It just feels a little more approachable, which I think we're both about. Where can people find you guys? Uh, social media, website, plug all your stuff. So at Park Service Coffee on Instagram, we are both not great uh, beyond that with our social media. So we have a Twitter account uh, that's at Park Service Ohio. Park Service Coffee on Facebook. Park Service Coffee on Facebook. Parkservicecoffee.com. We have our menu right on our main page and online ordering. Yeah, the online ordering is is definitely one thing we want to get out there more because we, like Alexis was saying, like we love a few things more than a good pour over, but we also understand with us operating on weekdays that a lot of people don't get the opportunity to sit and wait, you know, the five minutes it takes to to get a good pour over. So take advantage of that. Hop on parkservicecoffee.com. Uh, uh, Monday through Thursday, we're always at, at least for now, um, hopefully not changing in the future, but we'll be at 7 Sun, 7.30 to 1, Monday through Thursday. And then Fridays at Locks Bagel Shop in the short north. Uh, it's not every Friday. It's kind of just whenever they're feeling up to having us and whenever we're feeling up to to be in there, but we try to post and promote it uh, when when we are able to get out there. Yeah, we actually have um, a find us highlight on our Instagram. So we'll highlight our schedule for that week there. So it's easy to find. Yeah, the highlights are super informative on our Instagram page. It's where we got the Details for the 10% off for bringing your own reusable cup. Our weekly schedule is always posted on the highlights. So definitely always check those out. We'll usually have important stuff rolling through there. And then you guys are doing um, some like coffee bag stuff too, right? I know you guys have been posting about that. Yeah. Yeah. We just started um, offering some of our bags of coffee on presale through our Instagram. Just trying to be more aware that a lot of people don't have uh, the time in their schedule to get out to us on weekdays. So if we're not making ourselves available and you know someone's grinding through the Monday through Friday work week and still want to have good coffee for the weekend, even if they can't get out to us to get it with our Instagram pre-sales, we're hoping to give more people an opportunity to get some of the coffees that we like so they can brew it at home if they don't have the time or capacity to come see us during the week. Uh, so definitely keep an eye out for that too, because it's got a lot of really cool coffees uh, available for retail and hoping to keep leaning into that and offer more cool stuff. It's an awesome concept. You know, I've been able to to get cups of coffee from you guys a handful of times. So the seasonal stuff is cool and how you kind of create everything and continue to wish you guys, you know, success with what you guys are doing. And, and it's been a grind and, you know, operating a food truck or a food trailer is not the easiest thing to do as, as I've learned from different people that have done it for a few years and there's always something breaking and, and all that stuff. But no, I mean, the, the coffee is great. I can't recommend you guys enough to, for people to, you know, if they're looking for a new coffee spot to try or, or, you know, just in the area. My sister was at the Logs Bagel shop like last week when she was in town and, you know, she posted like a picture and I was like, well, that coffee trailer right there, that's park service. And if you need coffee, like that's really legit coffee, like you should go over there. So it's awesome to see you guys kind of bouncing back from 
the car accident, you know, when they took out your trailer or, but yeah, wish you guys the, the best. Definitely stay in touch. Looking forward to you guys eventually moving into a brick and mortar space and being able to do more stuff. Yeah. Thank you for talking to us. Yeah. Thank you Have so much. Time. Yeah. And thank you for the, the kind words. We definitely appreciate you putting yourself out there and reaching out to set this up. And I know you said the you know trailer life and mobile food life is hard, but I know podcasting isn't easy. <laughs> Honestly, I think all week, Alexis and I both talked about how much we hate hearing our voices recorded. So you have to do that daily. <laughs> so we, we can't imagine the, the stress and anxiety that comes with that. So you eventually get to a point where it doesn't bother you anymore. You do enough of it and it just, it goes away. It really does. But yeah, if you guys ever need anything from me, feel free to hit me up. Let me know. I'm always happy to help support whoever comes on the podcast as much as we can. But otherwise, I will let you get back to the rest of your evening, getting ready for the coffee day tomorrow. But again, really appreciate you guys coming on. Um, continue doing what you're doing. And uh, we'll be seeing you soon. For sure. Thanks, Ray. Thank you. Again, a big thanks to Alexis and Cole for taking some time out of one of their evenings uh, and coming on the podcast, talk about their setup, their business, everything in between with Park Service Coffee. So again, uh, they're usually at Seven Sun Brewing Monday through Thursdays. It's like seven to one. You can order online in advance too as well through their website, Park Service Coffee. Uh, and usually Fridays, they're over at the Locks Bagel Shop in Short North. Make sure to follow them on Instagram at Park Service Coffee. Follow us, check out their website, our website too as well, and, and make sure you're subscribed following the podcast. But they also have a GoFundMe up for additional repairs that they're kind of working on and working through. So if you get a chance to contribute to that, it's something that you can do, um, feel free. I know they'd really appreciate it. Kind of hate having to, to go the GoFundMe route just to get back up. But uh, the accident um, when that lady hit the trailer really kind of delayed their business and really affected kind of the financial stability of it too as well. So they're getting back up to speed and, and you can find them out there. You know, if you get a chance, make sure to head on down there wherever they're at. Get your coffee before you head into the office or whatever. If you're out and about during the week too, stop in and you know say hi to Cole and, and Alexis if she's there and, and get some coffee. It's it's really good stuff. You can check out the menu too on their website. They do have some seasonal offerings that change and as well. So that's it for this week. More episodes on the way every Thursday. Feel free to write in questions, comments, feedback too through the website or email directly. Appreciate everybody who's sent in some recent comments and questions and everything too as well. So we'll be getting back in touch with you guys there too if we haven't already. Till next week, we will talk to you guys next Thursday.